This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Diving mean, stop, Seager. Toss on off the first. In time to get seven. Two hits over seven scoreless innings. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. All right. Welcome back. Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Hope you had a good off day yesterday. Mariners will get back at it tonight after a much-needed off day. We'll talk about the weekend coming up. This is a big weekend at Safeco Field, so we're going to talk about that in a moment. Meg Rowley is going to join us in a few moments as well. That's going to be a very fun conversation. That will come up in a couple of minutes. First things first, though, yesterday, despite an off day, was a big day for the Mariners because when you go to Safeco Field now, Ken Griffey Jr., his statue unveiled in place, and it looks spectacular. We are thrilled to unveil this beautiful new statue today. Since this ballpark opened in 1999, we have been waiting to complete the look at our front door, the finishing touch, so to speak. Today, we finally have the perfect piece that will welcome fans for generations to come. The uniform is from Ken's magical MVP season of 1997. You'll know on one sleeve is our 20th anniversary logo and on the other sleeve is the patch we had honoring Jackie Robinson. Second, you will notice the Louisville Slugger bat complete with Ken's signature on the barrel. One of the things I'm known for is, is my swing and I think, you know, it was pretty much going to be a given. Uh, but, uh, you know, they pretty much nailed it. Eyesight was in the right spot, looking up. Not high, but, you know, and, you know I'm looking at that's probably 450-ish. <laughs> that's it? That's it? Just 450? You don't want to go any further than that. <laughs> go any further than that, they expect it. 450 is right there at the threshold. <laughs> I mean, the statue is so well done. What a beautiful way to welcome you to Safeco Field. With that sweet, sweet swing, the Ken Griffey Jr. statue. So you get your first look at it tonight at Safeco Field. It is Ken Griffey Jr. replica statue night as well at Safeco. Tomorrow, Jackie Robinson Day in Major League Baseball, one of my favorite days of the year. So that's going to be spectacular. And a big series on the field as well as the Texas Rangers come to town. And this is going to be 
a very interesting series. The Mariners and Rangers, neither team has started the way they have wanted to in 2017, and both have suffered from some of the same issues so far this season. You look at uh, bullpen ERA, and both of them near the bottom of baseball. The Rangers hold a 6-3-5 ERA as a bullpen. The Mariners a 7-7-1. Both these teams very high expectations coming to the season in a very competitive division. The Mariners have started 2-8. and eight. The Rangers have started 4-5, and five, though Texas has won a couple games in, the row, in a row. Adrian Beltre has not come back as quickly as I would have hoped. And right now, they are having some serious bullpen issues. Dyson, their closer coming into the season, he has been rocked a couple of times already, holding a 33 ERA so far this season, 11 runs, 11 hits so far. Matt Bush, who was so effective last year, has gone for a shoulder exam. Jeffress, who was the closer with Milwaukee, he has struggled a little bit as well. He's given up three runs and four innings of work. And maybe Federal Way native Tony Barnett will get the next safe chance for the Texas Rangers. I don't know. We're going to see how it plays out during this three-game series with the Mariners. The rotation looks like this. The pitching matchups, of course, we talked about the Griffey statue giveaway tonight. It is also Felix Day. Felix Hernandez pitching tonight, 7-10 against the Rangers. Martin Perez will take the ball for Texas. Saturday, James Paxson will get the ball. He has not given up a run yet this year. Officially, Texas TBA listed for Saturday. Reports are Andrew Kashner will take the ball for the first time. He started the year on the disabled list with biceps tendonitis. Rangers haven't needed a fifth starter until this point, and it's probably going to be Kashner, but that's not official yet. So James Paxson against probably Kashner. And then day baseball on Sunday, Iwakuma against Cole Hamels. So you have a big series for both teams. Texas trying to keep their role going after winning a couple in a row. Mariners trying to get the role going after saying bye to Houston for a while. So there it is. It's going to be a fun weekend at Safeco Field. Hopefully we'll see you there. Speaking of Safeco Field, we're going to talk about Safeco in just a moment. We're going to talk about a lot of things in just a moment as we welcome Meg Rowley to the podcast for the very first time well i feel like this has taken way too long i I should have had meg rally on long before now but it's finally happening meg thank you for coming on certainly appreciate it i'm looking forward to this conversation well thanks for having me absolutely and people don't know they can find you at baseballperspectus.com you're a great follow on twitter if they're not following you already they should at me growler g-r-o-w-l-e-r so, Meg, I want to start with the, the tough questions first because I saw you went after the grasshoppers right out of the gate. So how, how was that? How did that go? You know, they were fine. Uh, they, uh, I was nervous. Um, <laughs> you know, we are not uh, – I, I was talking about it with, with my mom before I came down to the ballpark, and, uh, you know, we decided that it's it's mostly a, a cultural thing. There are a lot of places in the world where they uh, eat insects, and this does not happen to be one of them, although as Northwesterners, we eat, you know, clams and oysters and all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, they, they were pretty crispy. Um, I was worried they would be gooey. They were not. Uh, and I think everyone should try something once, at least. I, I don't know that I'll go back, <laughs> but I'm glad I did it. 
Uh, congratulations. Once is probably enough. So yeah. congratulations. That's good. So I, I always think this is the toughest time of year to talk about baseball because we've been waiting so long. We have, I mean, really just a handful of games to talk about, not nearly enough to draw any conclusions, but it's what we have so far. So from what you've seen so far, what are your immediate conclusions, I guess, from the small sample size? Yeah, I, I think you're right. This is the time of year where, you know, these games matter. They certainly count uh, at the end of the year, just like losses in, you know, June or July would. Um, but we don't really know what they mean yet in terms of the actual quality of the team or how much they will end up mattering uh, for their uh, long-term odds. I would say a couple of things. I think that uh, if you wanted to um, be pessimistic, you could say that the the bullpen is looking uh, pretty shaky. If you wanted to be optimistic, you could say that's a place where they might expect reinforcements fairly soon, uh, right? Because we, we expect that Tony Zick will be rejoining the team soon and Steve Ciszek. Um I think I've been encouraged by by much of the starting pitching. I mean, James Paxton has continued to just light the world on fire and I think is, um, you know, we could spend a whole hour talking about him and, and uh, sort of his trajectory from the beginning of, or from the middle of last season till now. Um, and, you know, I think that when you look at the offense, we are, we are unlikely to see uh, the bats, especially in the middle of the order, sort of underproduced to the extent that they have. Um, and it's, you know, it's only been a handful of games, so uh, that doesn't tell us very much. But I think the the concerning thing for me, and I know a number of folks have sort of written about this in the last couple of days, is that um, I don't think that this is a a true talent to an eight baseball team. You know, I think there's much more talent on the roster than that. But they're banking losses and not wins right now. And I think when you look at the landscape in the American League, it's going to be really tight down the stretch, especially for a team that didn't profile uh, as a divi division winner, but profiled as a wild card contender. And so uh, I think the concerning thing in the early going is that their margin for error is shrinking rapidly and it seems silly to say you know and it would be silly to say that the season is over and that there's no chance um you know because they're so so early in the going here but um they are making the road ahead of them harder and not easier and baseball's hard enough so i think that would be sort of my takeaway from from the early bit here no you're right i mean i think houston learned that lesson last year out of the gates what a seven win first month of the season and they played really yeah. well the rest of the way but just were not able to make up the first month, which I guess uh, points out as quickly as they could start banking those wins, the better. I mean, talk about obvious statements, but. Well, and I think they've, they've been cushioned um, a little bit by the fact that, that the Rangers, although they're starting to pick up a little bit, but that the, the Rangers and especially the Blue Jays have stumbled um, so badly themselves. So some of those other wild card uh, contenders that we expected would sort of give them fits are themselves struggling. Um, and you might look at some of the, uh, the teams that are doing well ahead of them and expect that there might be um, a bit of overperformance there. So f for example, I, you know, I don't expect that the the twins will continue the the pace that they have set for themselves, um, and we might expect that uh, the Angels, despite sort of having the potential to be good, because any team that has Trout does, you know, might continue to have some issues with their pitching. So there are other teams ahead of them that we could expect to fall off, but 
we don't know that they will, and they aren't guaranteed to have a hot streak, right? That isn't necessarily a given for them. So uh, I think the sooner that they can sort of stabilize the bullpen, see their starters going deeper and, and start, you know, winning some games, the, the better off they'll, they'll be. Mariners have had, haven't had a lot of luck with the Houston Astros. How much do you think these first 10 games can you attribute to playing the Astros seven times? Um, you know, they're one of the sort of better teams in baseball. I have them in, in those horrible staff predictions that we are made to do at the beginning of every season, have the Astros going fairly deep. And I think you can look at this team and, uh, you know, some of this is fluky, right? If uh, Chase DeYoung makes some better pitches and extra innings, maybe this conversation's a little bit different, but this is a very, very good baseball team. And I think that um, if you want to freak out about something in, in the early stretch here, the big question going into the year with Houston was going to be the quality of that starting rotation and so far at least at the top it's been um you know much closer to some of the really good performances that those guys put in in 2015 versus 2016 so um it's it's a tough draw early in the going and it's it's hard that we're going to have to play them or see the mariners play them so much uh throughout the course of the year they're they're really stinking good and we're just going to have to sit back as fans and contend with that. Yeah. You mentioned Texas. I think they're a really interesting case because obviously another great season last year, but you look, you peel back some of the numbers and some of it looked kind of fluky. What's your take on them right now? And has anything changed from what you've seen so far? Yeah, they're, they're an interesting case. I think um, people who are sort of sabermetrically inclined have been um, raising alarm bells about the Rangers for a long time. Um, you know, their luck in one run games last year was so phenomenal. Um, and they, I think finished the year 13 wins better than their, um, sort of underlying metrics would have suggested that they did. And it's tempting to say that they are crashing back to earth all at once here. Um, I think they they still have underlying problems. I think that we're not likely to see Sam Dyson um, in the closer role for very much longer because he's just had um, a really bad uh, run here. But they're a weird team. Um, there's obviously still talent there, but they're a little banged up. Um, you know, the bullpen looks shaky, but then they also have guys coming back and sort of looking like the best versions of their former self. So, you know, you Darvish has looked uh, really good here. And so I don't know there, I, I think a team you have to take seriously, but um, it might be that this is the year that some of that regression starts to set in. You mentioned their bullpen too. I mean, Dyson has really struggled. Bush is getting checked out. Diekman's hurt. I mean, I guess it's the nature of bullpens. Mariners are going through some of that as well it's just so hard to count year to year on a consistent bullpen yeah and i think anytime you have um you know injuries to some of the headline guys like that or underperformance like we're seeing in dyson it tends to um look really really bad uh, i'll be curious to see where uh they end up uh sort of by the midpoint if you remember and obviously it was a different cast of characters but if you look at their sort of bullpen metrics from last year they look really bad a lot of that was underperformance in the beginning part of the season from players that didn't end up being on the roster for the entire season now they are getting under uh, sort of underperformance from guys like Dyson, and then they have the injury issue. So the dynamic's a little bit different, but um, I I 
do think that it's worth being cautious to assess a bullpen in its entirety this early because there's so much volatility in bullpen performance. But um, I wouldn't I wouldn't feel comfortable with the lead as uh, a Rangers fan. So I guess we can commiserate with them on that score. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> so I, I, I want to get more on James Paxton, who we've kind of been watching him and uh, grow and waiting on it for a while. Is there anyone you can compare him to throughout baseball when you think of James Paxton? Gosh, that's a tricky question. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, he he's such an unusual case because the things that have held him back, um, you know, he has a reputation as being sort of injury prone, and that's true, although he's not been injury prone in the ways that I think we often right. think of as most concerning for pitchers, right? It hasn't, uh, you know, knock on wood at this point, been anything like really serious related to his elbow or shoulder or anything like that. It's like it's blisters. It's getting hit with, you know, 105 mile an hour line drive. Um, it's that kind of stuff. So he's had this weird relationship with injuries. Um, and then, you know, it's clear that he uh, sort of benefited dramatically from this mechanical adjustment that he made last year. And, you know, we could talk about why it took so long for that um, adjustment to sort of come about, but um, it's such, it's been such a, a dramatic uh, change in a way. But if you think back to how he performed in say 2014, I think we've seen glimpses of this guy before. It's just that he hasn't ever put together, you know, a, com a healthy season combined with the ability to throw not only this velocity, which is new, but I mean, his strike throwing ability just generally has improved dramatically with the mechanical adjustments. So um, I, I'm sure that there is an obvious name and someone is listening to this and screaming at me for not calling one out, but we'll just let him be special for a minute. Um, it's a pretty, <laughs> it's a pretty spectacular change. Yeah, no, he's been, uh, it's a strong start. Now I know uh, you're, you're into catch framing. Does it does it warm your heart to watch during spring training the Mariners working on catch framing as a skill? Yes, it, I mean it certainly does. Although I would I would maybe um, point out that 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 is becoming such a an obvious um, source of value to teams that I think. Um, we are seeing that skill set sort of stabilize across the league. So it's not that it's unimportant all of a sudden, um, you know, the ability to steal strikes remains important. But I think when you look at the difference between, um, you know, a team like the Mariners, who I, I think we could argue was in some ways valuing that skill really highly, um, maybe sometimes to the detriment of the person playing that position um, versus other teams, you're starting to see that leveling out. I mean, when you think about some of the acquisitions uh, and signings that say the twins made over the off season, it was clear that uh, they were prioritizing that uh, more strongly. So yes, it certainly does. And it, it will always, I think, remain an area of baseball that I find really interesting and, um, and will up until the moment that they automate the strike zone, but you're getting a little less value there um, or at least marginal value than you were uh, in years past. Do you think that's coming at some point? Automation? Um, strike zone? I mean, I, ex I expect that it will at some point, I think that it'll probably take longer than, um, you know, than, than folks maybe realize. Cause the, the there are a lot of, um, there's a, a high potential for sort of unintended consequences from automating the zone. And I think that the league's going to want to have a much better handle on what that's going to do to the offensive environment um, and how that's going to affect the, uh, the balance between pitchers and hitters before they really entertain um, that dramatic of a change. 
That's going to be such a bummer for the kid who grew up practicing framing strikes and then the second well, kid to the big Well, I mean, I guess what I would say to that kid is that there will probably always, I mean, there will always be a place for, for catchers in the game, right? And you'll just have to start getting good at uh, some of the other aspects, which you know, unfortunately, some of those are a little harder for us to measure. So we have not yet uh, fully come up with a way to uh, quantify the value of game calling, for example. But you're always going to have, you know, a need for someone to be behind the plate and to call a good game and hold runners on. And so there will still be catching value. But for pitch framing nerds like me, it'll be a little less fun. See, game calling, it, it is so funny because it is such a crucial part of the game. Yet at this point, we really have no way to measure it. Do you think we ever will? I do. I mean, so some of the folks I work with at Baseball Perspectives who thankfully are much smarter about uh, modeling this stuff than I am uh, are working on that. And I think it it is coming, but um, it will be a more challenging and certainly more challenging part of the game to sort of quantify and and do that reliably. But, yeah, I mean, you know, we're smart folks. We figure stuff out eventually. (laughs) Okay, before you go, I really want to talk to you about an article you wrote. I guess it was in. 2016 and it was uh called let ballparks get old and i really enjoyed it and i wasn't the only one but you got the 2017 saber analytics conference research award for it which is yeah for contemporary commentary i did congratulations that's awesome Uh, give us a thumbnail of of what you wrote about um well i it really came out came out of um, the Rangers' decision to start building a new ballpark in Arlington. Um, something I'm sure that Mariners fans will pay some attention to in the coming years. Um, their ballpark now is only 20 years old, um, and I think when it was built, uh, retractable roof technology wasn't very good. And so it's. I mean, you've you've probably been there yeah. uh, for this incredibly hot and uncomfortable. And so yeah. they're going to be building a new ballpark. And I, uh, I think that that place and our experience of being in a particular place to watch baseball is a really important part of our sort of experience of a team and our connection to a city and a franchise. And um, I think you know we're really fortunate in Seattle, even with a ballpark that isn't that old in Safeco, that that feels like it is part of the city and it feels like it reflects the character and sort of um, geography and culture of the place where we live. And when you go to places that have sort of newer, more generic parks, you, you lose some of that feeling. I mean, I, I was fortunate enough to get to go to a couple of games at old Yankee stadium when I was in college on the East coast and then lived in New York and have gone to games at new Yankee. And you went from having this, you know, cathedral of baseball that had so much history, not only for that franchise, but for the game more generally. And then you walk into new Yankee stadium and you could be anywhere. You could be in any ballpark and they have tried to sort of bring the history with them and make it feel like, um, you know, there's something special and, New York about it, but it it kind of feels like a, a Hollywood studio built a generic ballpark to film baseball movies in, and so it it really changes the way that you interact with the game. Um, and I think that I understand that you know people want to have particular amenities and they want to be comfortable and they want to enjoy their ballpark experience, but I think there's a lot to be said for sort of celebrating those places that have 
housed a lot of the game's history and make us feel a particular way. So uh, this is why the article is so great because I I am right I am so with you. I think about Yankee Stadium too. I think that's a great example because I felt like especially when they're in the postseason. I felt like that place was intimidating. And I remember Derek Jeter at some point uh, talked to Aaron Boone on the bench about the ghosts coming out. I always felt like the ghosts actually came out when the Yankees were in the playoffs in old Yankee Stadium. But it's just it doesn't feel the same at the new place. And I think about um, why do we love Fenway Park? Why do we love Wrigley Field? It's the history. When you go to those places, I mean, this is where Ted Williams played, you know, that sort of thing. Right. I think you're so right. Well, and I mean, you look at Safeco and, um, you know, obviously the Mariners have not had this. I mean, they had 2001, but they haven't had this incredible illustrious history in that ballpark. We haven't gotten to see those postseason wins, but you walk into that place and it feels like it's Seattle. And when you, you know, sit up in the view deck and you have this incredible view of the whole city and you walk around the concourses, you know, in the 300 level and you can see the mountains, it just, it feels like that place. And I think that, um, you know, you, you just, you get a little something extra being there. And when you've been there and then are watching games at home or, you know, from far away, I didn't get to live in Seattle for, uh, 10 years after college, but I, you know, I'd come back and I'd go to games at Safeco. And then when I was watching the Mariners in New York or in Wisconsin, when I was in grad school, I could picture exactly where they were on the field. If I was listening to the radio, because I had this sense of that place. And, you know, there are definitely ballparks in Major League Baseball that that are sort of uncomfortable or uh, old to the point of of us asking really legitimate questions about whether they should be replaced. I mean, I think that um, for as much pride as they managed to bring to the Coliseum, there are probably plenty of fans in Oakland who wish that that stadium and that ballpark was better. But um, the, I think that's the exception rather than the rule. And we should just, you know, in addition to all the uh, usual conversations we have around financing and all of that, when we're talking about new new ballparks, we should we should give a thought to what we lose when we give up that sense of place. No, I think you're absolutely right. That was perfect. Meg, thanks for doing this. This was fun. Hopefully we'll do it again. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Absolutely. Here comes the 3-0 pitch to Junior. He swings and a high fly ball. The green to the track, the wall, number 56, fly, fly away. 3-0, Junior, just through sheer brute force, drove one over the National League side of the scoreboard, and Ken Griffey, Jr. has his 56th. So Ken Griffey, Jr. with number 56, RBI number 146, and a standing ovation from this crowd here for another milestone for Ken Griffey Jr. See you later!